This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 71, Comic Reviews for the week of April the 17th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. I am your host, Adam Chapman, and this is the uh, episode 71 of the podcast. Uh, for those who have been following the show or know that the, the general rhythm and um, schedule for the show, you will know that this is a very late episode. Generally, the reviews episodes go up on the Sunday night after uh, after the Wednesday that the comics come out. Uh, last week, we were two days late. It came out on Tuesday night. Um, and then this week, unfortunately... Uh, a lot of things were going on. Um, I could briefly give a nothing people really care, but I mean, basically, uh, I was unable to really put together the episode because my wife and I looked at a house that we wanted to buy um, on Sunday night, and then Monday was my wife's birthday, and that's the day we put in an offer to buy the house. And then Tuesday night, we uh, had we figured out, found out that we basically successfully put in an offer on our new house, and uh, we now own. Well, we have an offer to to purchase a, pro- a house closing in July, and now we have the problem of oh crap, we have to sell our existing house. Uh, otherwise, we'll end up with two houses. So I do apologize. Uh, obviously, usually I try to prioritize not prioritize, but try to make sure the podcast is running on an, an even keel and episodes are coming out on a regular basis. Sometimes, unfortunately, life gets in the way. Um, but uh, I'm back, and here we're going for episode 71. For those who listen to this episode, episode 72 will be going up probably a few hours after uh, this episode, and um, and that episode will basically just be a, a, about a day late from when it, it usually comes out. So my apologies for the uh, for the late episodes, but thank you for sticking with me and for sticking with comic shenanigans. I really appreciate it. So let's just jump right in. So I finally got a chance to review, read most of the books. Now there's a ton, a ton of comics that came out this week. Um, so the reviews are going to be a little bit more bite-sized than normal. Um, partially, I found that there was a lot of comics that just weren't that good this week, but not even, uh, they weren't bad enough to make me want to be very, you know, vitriolic and very angry. They were just more indifferent, or they just were kind of like, eh, I didn't really care. I know that's not really the greatest <laughs> way to review something. Yeah, this is, eh. But uh, sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it just feels like that's what you're going to get. So let's just jump right in. Um, So obviously I usually go alphabetically through the books that I've actually read. So the first book on the chopping block this week is Age of Ultron. And that would be uh, number six. Uh, So this is where we finally start moving things forward. My problem with this is that it's not so much this issue because it was... The issue was in and of itself was fine. I think it just underlies the problem with Age of Ultron as a storyline. It's not about Ultron really at all. Like, I mean, it is and it isn't. Like, there's a cause and effect, but basically it spent five issues of this storyline basically setting up that we're going to be doing this time-traveling premise, which is kind of cool. However, um, I feel like... It's interesting. We spent five issues doing getting to one point, and now it feels like we're going to hurry to the finish line. Uh, because there's only four more issues left, seven, eight, nine, ten, and in that time, we have to show a showdown with Ultron in the future, a remade Marvel Universe, and then fixing it, or at least getting it close enough to what we already know, but maybe with some notable changes coming out of it. I feel like that's a lot of heavy lifting for a writer like Bendis who really likes his setup and sometimes hurries the climax. Um, You can draw uh, insinuations from that as you will, but I just feel like there's a lot of foreplay in a lot of his events. And it's kind of getting you all excited, getting you all ready, and then it just kind of ends. It's kind of over before it started. 
Um, a lot of his events kind of feel that way. And I feel like this is shaping up to be another classic Brian Michael Bendis event. Some of it's been well-written, but again, you're just kind of getting somewhere. And then once you finally kind of get into it, then it's over. So this issue uh, is the first one where we have the two different, uh, two new artists jumping on board the book. We have Brian Hitch's Departed because his part of the storytelling is over. Um, an interesting choice. More so, like, Age of... Age of um, sorry, Age of... Um, a versus X or Avengers vs. X-Men you had a lot more switches in art without really explaining it once you got to the midway point like you obviously had different acts and you had different artists kind of doing them but it didn't feel like it was necessarily all that clear as to why that was happening here it's a very clear delineation point like this is very different this is what's happening uh, that being said not that comic covers are really indicative of what's happening in them anymore but this the cover for this time around was really misleading because you got Captain America, Red Hulk, and Storm on the cover. Not a not a one who actually show up in the issue. Uh, the art tours are split between Brandon Peterson and uh, Carlos Pacheco. Um, so before it was about you know you're they're trying to figure out what to do with the time platform and Wolverine decides he's going to go back into the past. He's going to kill Hank Pym. Uh, so he doesn't go alone though, as Sue Storm goes with him. Um, so they go back in time, and then you also have a little bit of what's going on in the future, and the future stuff is, I believe, I believe that's the stuff that's done by Peterson, and then very loose Pacheco art is on, uh, the past. Um, basically, I mean, the, the big brunt of this is that you got Wolverine trying to kill Hank Pym, and he kills him, and that's kind of it, but, um, obviously something interesting will happen going forward from here, um... You know, I, I take it back. I was, I was really a dick in, about a, like less than a minute ago about the cover. It's been like, I think this is the first comic I read of all the batch that came out last week. And I think I read it on last Wednesday. I'm recording this on the 24th. So I completely forgot there was even portions that were taking place in the future until I'm flipping through it now. So I I was unfair there. I was a bit of a dick to uh, Peterson's cover for being a dick, uh, you know, misrepresentative of what was actually an issue. When in, on, in, uh, in truth, I was totally wrong and a bit of an asshole about it anyways at, at the end of the day it wasn't a bad issue it was an okay read i'm interested to see where it goes from here because obviously hank pym has already been announced to be starring in a book afterwards so it's obviously something has to change or there will be some impact but it was an interesting issue um the events in it if you read the wolverine the x-men uh, 27 au it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense because that issue made it seem like they were going to go in opposite directions in terms of what uh, Wolverine and uh, Sue were going to decide to do, and then what actually ended up happening was what you would have originally expected. But if had you not read Wolverine and X Men, because that just made it more confusing as to the thought processes of these characters, uh, which are very like back and forth as a result of reading the two stories. I gave this a seven out of ten, though. It wasn't a bad read. Um, there, I have some issues with it, but and and with the the event in general. Uh, speaking of the event in general, um, I'm a big fan of buying collections on well. If I can, I like to buy at my comic book shop if I can. But unfortunately, there's a lot of times where... I mean, I'm in Canada too, so the prices are a little bit higher. Not much, but a little bit. And uh, unfortunately, like it, the e-retailers are really killing the, the comic book stores. And as much as I like to give my loyalty to my comic book store... So my local store in Toronto is One Million Comics. 
great guys, great atmosphere. I like going there. If I can, if the prices are going to be relatively similar, maybe I'll pay maybe $0.50 cent dollar premium, I'm okay with going to my comic book store. But some of the larger collections, um, the disparity grows when Amazon has deep, deep cuts. And unfortunately, I at the end of the day, as much as I want to support my comic book store, I also got to... I only have limited funds in my wallet. Anyways, why am I even mentioning this at all? It's because I bring it up because um, I was looking on Amazon the other day. I'm a big fan. I'm going to throw out a bunch of websites, but I'm a big fan of uh, marvelmasterworks.com. It's a great, great community uh, where everyone loves trade paperbacks. They love collections. They love Marvel Masterworks. They like omnibuses uh, or I guess omnibuy. They like all these different things. Anyways, I go on there a lot, and uh, I am a big fan of what we call Amazon Fish on that board. And Amazon Fish are basically the really early advanced solicitations for um, trade paperbacks and collections, uh, far in advance of regular solicitations, and it kind of gives you an idea of what we're going to be seeing in bookstores, uh, basically up until the end of the year now. Um, and they've already solicited the Age of Ultron hardcover, which will have all the AU tie-ins and uh, all the regular issues. I think it's about 18 or 19 issues in it, and it'll be about $53 Canadian for those on Amazon.ca. Just throwing it out there because it made me think of it. I'll probably end up buying a collected edition at the end because it's kind of nice to have a nice big hardcover like that. Um, I bought the AVX one, and I'm also uh, salivating and just extremely excited about the AVX companion because if you go back, and I think it was around issue episode 20 of this podcast, but we did a whole, uh, well, actually a two-part episode where my uh, guest Paul Scores and Nathan Strzok, we went through the entirety of Avengers vs. X-Men, which was, as you can imagine, was like a very long, I think, three or four hour podcast, which is why we split it into two different parts. It was pretty crazy, and I remember at my door, Paul showed up with like a long box full of every tie-in, and I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And I remember uh, Nate being like, I thought this was going to be a relatively short podcast, I'm never going to get to go home. Um, anyways, this new AVX Companion is coming out soon, I think it's got like 1,100 pages, it's one of the biggest omnibuses. It's not even classic, classified as an omnibus, actually, but um, it's a really good collection, and I'm really excited about that. I pre-ordered that a while ago, and that'll be awesome to have my shelf, that you can read the entire Avengers X-Men event with all those tie-ins just in two hardcovers. One, with the relatively skinny one, will be the main series, and then the, the uber-fat daddy will be the, uh, the one collecting every you know ancillary issue. Anyways, I am not even talking about the comics that we're supposed to be talking about today, uh, so sorry for the digression. Uh, if you like more digressions, let me know on HC Realms, and I'll make sure to put them in future podcasts. Sorry, I'm a little snarky today. I'm really enjoying the comments we're getting on HC Realms. I'm like, really glad that people are, uh, you know, if, if when they're listening to it, they're saying what they think of the show. Um, usually, not always on the review episodes, because I know those are, those are some of the drier episodes, uh, especially because it's just me. Um, as people who've listened to the podcast will know, I mean... My brother-in-law, Paul Scores, I just don't have a lot of chances to sit down with him and talk comics often, although the next episode will have us talking about Marvel Now. And um, my most frequent co-host, Nathan Strzok, doesn't get a chance to read as many comics these days, mainly because he just doesn't really pick any up, whereas at least Paul does. So um, I don't. I wish that I would have someone to actually do the review episodes with me, so kind of break it up and make it a little bit more interesting and not just me yammering on at you. But um, unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case anytime soon, but it would be nice in, in the future. Uh, I'll work on seeing if I can get someone to join me for a little bit, or at least to review some of the books that came out, because it is more fun when there's more than one person talking. Um, 
Uh, it feels like I'm talking about everything but the actual comics we're looking at, but we have a lot of good stuff coming up in the next few weeks that I'm really excited about in terms of the different episodes. I mean, episode 72 is our Marvel Now uh, First Wave episode. Uh, episode 74 is our Talking Video Games we recorded about a week and a half ago. It's coming out next week on May 1st. Then on May 8th, you got uh, our Iron Man 3 Spotlight episode, which I'll have I'll be doing with uh, my uh, brother-in-law, Paul, uh, with his wife, April, making her debut on the podcast, hopefully, uh, at least tentatively. Uh, after that, we're, in the same episode, we're also going to have two other new co-hosts. Uh, my wife's uh, cousin, Sarah Woodhead, will, should be on the episode, as well as one of my best friends for well, over, over, over a decade now, Tibor Mate, or a mate, and he'll be uh, on an episode. So uh, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up, and then after that, I think, uh, so that's that, up to episode 76. So episode 78... Well, we'll be coming out on, I guess, um, May 15th, and that'll be our next Talking Heroclix episode, which I'm excited about. A week after that, it's our spotlight on Star Trek in the Darkness. So we've got a lot of... The fact that there's so many big movies coming out this summer, uh, it's going to be a lot of spotlight episodes on those, so I'm really excited about those. Anyways, back into comics. It's been 12 minutes, and I've talked about one comic and a lot of other crap. Uh, Astonishing X-Men 61. Didn't much care for this. It continues the, uh, the extermination storyline. I still question the uh the benefit of, of kind of putting these together and even bothering um it's just an odd choice to put together these three very low selling books astonishing x-men extreme x-men and age of apocalypse and make it into a big crossover event uh it's not a bad issue though um it just didn't really make me care i thought the artwork was a little bit all, all over the place um it was very inconsistent you have these weird chapter markings which don't really fit in alignment with anything like in here you're like chapter 10 chapter 11 you're like wait wait a minute like am i is this actually going through the entire thing in terms of chapters um i liked some of the ideas and aspects that were done here and it definitely feels like this is kind of ending these books which i think is what the point is but at the end of the day like i don't i just feel like there's not enough this feels like they're the Astonishing X-Men, first of all, just thrown in the middle. Like, that, that book, it's almost as if it doesn't really have an identity and they're just plugging in these characters. And then, so really, it feels more of an Age of Apocalypse slash Extreme X-Men storyline. But I don't, and I've, I've said this before, I don't think they've done an adequate job really explaining the threat as because as, it's basically coming out of Extreme X-Men. And it really just looks like Super Sentinels and that are just absorbing everything. I, I forget where they even describe what they are, but that's how basic it feels. So it, it's hard to really latch onto it as feeling as inc- as credible a threat as it is. Uh, seeing Jean Grey harness the power of the apocalypse is interesting, but I don't know. It I'm kind of tired with it. Um, it's written, well, the story is by David Laugham, Marjorie Liu, and Greg Pak. Uh, script is by Marjorie Liu, and then the artists, there are so many, which is why, as I mentioned, there's a lot of inconsistency with the artwork. Uh, the artwork is by Renato Arlem, Klebs de Mora, Matteo Bufagni, Raul Valdez, and Carlos Cuevas, or Cuevas, um, which is a lot of different artists, and then colors by Lee Lowridge and Chris Sotomayor with Andres Mosa. Um... There's some really good spots in here, there's some really good panels, but again, the artwork is just so inconsistent, it's hard to really uh, say it's you know a, a consistent visual tone, because it's not. So I gave it about a 6 out of 10. Uh, next up is Batwoman number 19. This book was actually remarkably inconsistent as well. I mean, there's some really interesting aspects to it. Um, I'm still not really sure what, what the book wants to be, but I do like where some of the stories are going. Uh, beautiful cover, by the way. Um... And I do like that you got a little bit more of Chase 
and uh, kind of seeing what what her story is. There's not as much of Batwoman here as I would have maybe expected to see. Um, and again, there's different shifts in artwork as well. Um, I'm just looking here. I like that it's not very simple as to what's happening with uh, Kate and uh, Maggie Sawyer. Uh, I'm still not really sold sometimes in Kate's look because I, I miss when she had long hair. The short hair just doesn't always quite work. And there's some artists who can really nail it well and some who really can't. Um, I mean, so you got J.H. Williams III here and W.H. Sorry, W. Hayden Blackman and then Trevor McCarthy working on the book. There's some really good art in some of these pages. The opening sequence especially I really liked by The Water. Um, and then the flashback sequences as well, which are brutal. And then some of the later sequences are just look a little muddled. That first sequence with Kate and, uh, and Megasaur in bed, I didn't really like that as well. Uh, it looked kind of shapeless. Like the, the women didn't really have a lot of definition to them. And just kind of, there wasn't a lot of different definition in the artwork at all. Um, but, uh, interesting story. Interesting to see where it goes from here. Um... The, the stuff, the artwork that actually was by J.H. Williams III is fantastic, and I just wish it had been more consistent. We got to see more of it. Uh, seeing how um, Bat and uh, Batwoman are kind of dealing with their kind of partnership is interesting as well. Um, the idea that uh, the DEO basically wants Batwoman to take down Batman is interesting as well. Um, really cool. Um, but again, it was just an up and down book, so you might have some really good moments, but then there's other moments where the artwork doesn't really match up, and it kind of feels like you're spinning your wheels. Uh, I originally written down that I was going to give it a six and a half out of ten. Reviewing it again, I'm actually going to upgrade that to a seven, but again, not the strongest issue. Next up is Birds of Prey number nineteen. Um, not the greatest issue of this book, but I do like this book. It kind of feels like the book that that little the little DC book that could. I mean. It's got an interesting cast. Um, it kind of, it feels very different in terms of its tone from uh, some other books, um, but I am enjoying it. I like the artwork generally. Again, not the strongest issue, um, but again, I think that this is one of the cases of I think I was being a little tougher on it than maybe I should have been um, because I'm just kind of flipping through it again now. I'm like, you know, what? this actually was a stronger read than I gave it credit for. Um, I'm just looking up uh, the creative team here. I plus. I really enjoy the art in this issue. It's by Romano Molinar, with inks by Vicente Cifuentes, with Julio Ferreira, and it's written by Christy Marks, who I've never heard of. Um, it feels a bit like kind of a feeling type issue. Some of the, there are some panels where the inks are a little too heavy, especially on like the chin strap for uh, Batgirl's cowl. Um, but I do like seeing the idea that they're kind of up against Mister Freeze, and uh, that the town's kind of nervous. Um, I like that they have Strix as a character. Uh, it's it, it's a fun issue, and I'm I'm interested to see uh, where it's going to go after this uh, the climax here. Because just where we think we know where we're going, it turns out that there's a bit of a double cross, and I'm interested to see where they go with that. Uh, I was originally going to give that a six and a half out of ten. I'm also upgrading that to a seven because maybe I was too mean the first time around, and I'm actually realizing that I enjoyed some of it more than I thought I did. Uh, next up is Cable and X-Force number 7. I'm actually going to downgrade this from my supposed 6 to a 5 because I just didn't care. Um, I like Cable as a character. I like X-Force as a concept, depending on which version of it it is. Obviously, there have been many. Um, I was excited for this because it was, you know, you're getting uh, Cyclops showing up and talking to to uh, his son. And I actually really like the cover. Uh, it's just that awesome shot of uh, Cyclops and it just says Daddy's Home in giant white lettering, which I actually really dug. Um... 
because I, I like that they're kind of meeting up, but I just feel like this book doesn't make a lot of sense half the time. I don't, I don't even know what's happening, and it doesn't have a clear, it doesn't feel like it has a clear objective. Um, the artwork by LaRocca is not that great. The colorist could be better. Um, the writing by Dennis Hopeless could really leaves a lot to be desired. I don't think he's ever really written Forge as a character that, and like, I don't think he's sorry. I don't think he's ever read Forge before because this is not Forge. This is also not Doctor Nemesis. He tries to add some snark to pretend it is, but it's not. Colossus doesn't even feel like himself. That being said, it makes sense that Colossus doesn't feel like himself. So that's the one I gotta give a pass on. Uh, Lisa Boom Boom. I mean, yay, she's here. I guess. Um, I didn't care much for it. I want more from this book, and I'm not going to get it, so I feel like I should just stop. But I'm going to keep reading it, hoping it'll turn around. Um, I also hope LaRocca will turn around. Like, I've read some... Recently, I was looking at some of his older work in the early 2000s, and man, his stuff used to be solid. What happened? And again, part of it's the colors, but can't give, you can't lump it all at the colors' uh, feet. I mean, if you go back to his old Extreme X-Men stuff, like, that was really solid, solid stuff. And then you look at his current stuff, and you're like, that's garbage in comparison. Um, I mean, he has a past as an artist, and some of his stuff has been really good, but some of it just hasn't been at all. And that's unfortunate that that's the stuff I'm remembering more now, is the stuff that I didn't enjoy as much. So I gave it a 5 out of 10 for a Cable and X-Force number 7. Uh, next up is Captain America number six. Ugh, hasn't this ended yet? Uh, I gave it a six and a half. Apparently a typo. I said six and a half of six and a half out of twenty, which is pretty brutal. But I meant six and a half out of ten. Um, I'm not a big fan of the story. I've gone kind of gone back and forth on it, though, as I've said in previous episodes. Uh, this is not really what I was expecting from Rick Remender. I like that it's kind of big and exciting and different and crazy. And I kind of like some of the art by John Romita, but it's also got kind of the hallmarks of things I don't like about John Romita. Like when John Romita's showing Captain America in action, showing his ripped and, uh, you know, his, his bloody costume and showing all that, that's really cool. But then when you have the parts with this, uh, I guess the the daughter of, of um, oh, what's his name? Of uh, Arnim Zola, I didn't really like that. The weird kind of monsters that kind of typifies the things I don't like about John Romita's artwork because it just kind of looks like a mess. It doesn't really look that alien or that well drawn. Um, the weird shots of Zola's daughter kind of remind me of something that Jack Kirby would have done for New Gods. And I just don't think it fits here. And it's just elements of things I just don't like generally in his artwork. And then the next page, you have a double spread, double page spread. And you'll have a, a great Captain America lunging across the kind of page with uh, you know the grizzled beard and you know, the, the torn chainmail showing off his arms, and, like, that stuff's really cool, so I kind of go back and forth and not liking the, some of the art and loving it at the same time, depending on what he's illustrating. Um, the story just kind of felt like it wasn't really going a lot of places, and the idea that Captain America, you know, must go back and rescue, the, you know, basically his son. Uh, he can't just let him go, and um, and he has to, when he he has to kind of go home and take the child with him. And this child, at the same time, being slowly um, mind-controlled kind of and brainwashed against Captain America. Uh, there are elements of this that are good, but there are elements that are not. Um, I gave it about a 6.5 out of 10. Again, some of it is picking up a little, and I'm starting to like some of the, the moral quandary that Captain America's in. But at the same time, I think the storyline's gone on too long. I don't think that uh, Zola or anything that's been going on in this world has been that compelling. Um... I mean, yes, the struggles and tri tribulations that Captain America have been through have been compelling, but not the actual villains that have been putting them through that themselves, uh, if that makes any sense. So I give it about a six and a half. Um, next up is Captain Marvel number 12. 
This is a book that is supremely frustrating because I really like the script. I hate the artwork. It is just not... I don't know. Like If you look at the cover, it, the cover is kind of jaunty and fun and exciting. And then you read the, the actual issue and you're like, uh, where did that go? Where did the good artwork go? Because it's not to be found inside this book. Uh, it's way too wispy. Um, it's just not good. And it's very unfortunate. So these issues written by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Christopher Sabella are worked by Felipe or Philippe Andrade. Um, again, the story, I like that the idea that something's wrong with Carol. She's sick. She can't fly. And then she's having to uh, go up against this villain. And she has to basically use like a sky cycle in order to do it, for lack of a better word. Um, and it's got some good action, good good uh, developments on the storyline of her being sick and her doctors kind of looking into what they can do about it and what might actually be wrong. That's great. That part's all fantastic, but the artwork is atrocious. It does not fit. I I guess it's trying to be loose and fun, but I just feel like it's just a mess. It's a mismatch. Um, there's so many better artists that could be the, the illustrating this book, and unfortunately I picked the wrong one. Uh, I gave it a 6 out of 10, mainly because of the art, um, not because of the story. The story was actually pretty engaging and interesting. Uh, next up is Daredevil number 25. This was probably one of my favorite books of the week. Um, the artwork is brilliant. I'm I'm just absolutely in love with uh, the way the art looks by uh, Chris Samney in this book. Um, the writing by, by Mark Way continues to be extremely strong. Most of this issue is uh, Matt Murdock going up against... Um, like he's being led, basically he gets led to a place so that he can find out what's been going on, why people have been getting these abilities, uh, that are similar to his, and then the guy who helped lead him there kind of gets, basically, uh, his dies because there's a booby trap. Anyways, uh, he realizes that his, his enemy has very similar abilities to him, uh, basically has managed to replicate them, and that whoever this guy is working for, uh, is, has, you know, he has commanded that he kind of... Uh, teach Daredevil the meaning of fear, and he to do that he basically has a caution that um, is a callback to Daredevil's own caution in terms of the colors, the yellow and the red, and the basic kind of design looking like um, uh, like a boxer kind of outfit, but also looking like a samurai, uh, and goes by the name of Fury. And then there's a, it's just a, an epic dra- uh, knock that knock down drag out fight. Um, there's some great parts here where where Daredevil decides he, he's trying to confuse his opponent using everything that kind of sticked on him and and he's trying to overwhelm this man's senses and he's hiding and he's like this guy doesn't even know where i am and there's water everywhere there's water sprinklers and then the guy's like uh he makes a reference to the color or something he's bright by basically the idea that he's not actually blind he can see and it's actually really well done in terms of how it's done because daredevil's about to grab these um i guess uh, a bat to hit him and uh and he's hoping that the guy can't see. Instead, the guy can see. And he's like, try the red one. And he's like, oh my god, he's not blind. And then he starts getting the shit beaten out of him. Um, this is a really, really good issue. Chris Samney just killed it on artwork. I'm loving the kind of the old school sensibility of the artwork. Uh, it's just, it has a certain quality. I can't really put my finger on exactly what it is. But I absolutely adore it. It's brilliant stuff. Uh, next up is, uh, let's see, after Daredevil, we got Green Lantern, New Guardians, 19. Okay, some stuff actually happened in this book, um, as opposed to what happened in most of the chapters preceding it. Um, it does, however, kind of feel kind of random how things just kind of happen. Uh, the issue's written by Tony Bedard, and with artwork by Andres Guinaldo. 
not bad artwork by Guinaldo. Um, not really sold on how he illustrates Kyle, though. Especially with the, the giant kind of almost bug um, uh, visor, uh, like a mask over his eyes. He looks more like Cyclops in terms than actually looking like a Green Lantern or a White Lantern, as the case might be. Uh, I felt this issue kind of disjointed, though, because instead of having both of them here, you're just having Simon Badge, sorry, Simon Baz and Badge teaming up, and they're coming after trying to basically rein in Sinestro. Uh, Sinestro kind of trying to harness the power of the White Lantern from Simon, uh, sorry, from Kyle. Later, Simon Baz, he gets it himself. Uh, you also have Carol here. You have uh, Kyle Rayner trying to bring back together. Um, what's it called, uh, Korrigar, and then you have, uh, basically a bunch of people trying it, you have, uh, Sinestro trying to do it, you have, uh, Simon Baz trying to put together Korrigar and not able to do it, and then, uh, Green, uh, sorry, Sinestro grabs the Yellow Lantern, he's, he's gonna go, he wants revenge, so he wants to go kill the group the First Lantern, and, um, yeah, and then at the same time, uh, Star Sapphire is worried that Hal is dead. It's not a bad issue, but it moves the plot along slowly, um, but it did kind of feel disjointed uh, in terms of where we were before in the last 18 issues of this storyline. I don't know. Uh, I give it a 7 out of 10, though. It's almost over. We're almost done, and then I think I might stop reading the Green Lantern books. Or I just I have stopped being that interested in them a long time ago. Um, I kept reading them because I was a huge fan of the reinvention of the Green Lantern mythos that Jeff Johns had masterminded, and it was thanks to him that I ended up falling back in love with Green Lantern. Because um, I was never a huge fan of some of the Kyle stuff. I mean, I read him on and on, but like I was always a big fan of Hal. And then when we brought back Hal, I, I was like how he was able to use Hal, but also make Kyle still feel valuable and an important member of the Green Lantern Corps. And it just feels at this point that I'm kind of done with the Green Lantern Corps as a concept. It's been a while since it's felt that fresh, especially with the constant like making the um, the Guardians worse and worse as people and. It just feels like that's the easy way to go because that happens every, like, you know, 10 years. They kind of make something goes wrong with them and then eventually they reboot them or they rebuild them or they regrow them or something. Um, anyway, moving on. Iron Man number 8. Uh, this is a book that is frustrating as well. I'm interested to see where the next few issues go when we get the kind of the secret history of uh, Tony Stark, which feels like, I mean, obviously, the, the you can't judge a lot by covers, etc., but... I feel like it's going to be, I mean, you know, I'm totally speaking out of my ass because I have no idea, but my uh, perception of what little bits we've seen trickle out in terms of solicitations, it almost feels like more like they're bringing a little bit more of the ultimate Iron Man into Iron Man, as opposed to what I would love to see is seeing more of Howard Stark as a member of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, that the S.H.I.E.L.D. that existed before Nick Fury was part of his S.H.I.E.L.D., um, but more of the ancient order of the S.H.I.E.L.D. I would love to see more of that. And Hell, I'd love to see the end of that book. I mean, Dustin Weaver is doing artwork um, and other things, like Avengers now, for... Um, for Jonathan Hickman, why can't they finish S.H.I.E.L.D. already? Like, it hasn't ended, and I would love it to, because it was a fantastic book. Anyway, and plus we've seen the Tesla, the Night Machine, we've seen them show up in different places, like around She-Hulk. Uh, we've seen elements show up in different Hickman books, and the freaking story already. Um, anyway, this is uh, an AVX Aftermath uh, issue of, of Iron Man. It's the God Killer. You have Iron Man going up against Death's Head. Don't really care about that. Um, you have... Tony trying not to die at the hands of the Death's Head uh, because for his crimes, and then his armor is able to free itself and come to him. 
and then he's able to fight against the Death's Head. Don't much care for the story. It's very simplistic what's been going on here. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Iron Man armor either that he uses in space. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm just not a huge fan. It's inter- Some of the aspects of it could be interesting, but they're not. Um, and I, there's elements in here that I, I wasn't even sure what was happening. Uh, things that are going on with the heart and all this stuff. I'm just ready to be done with these these weird aliens and uh, getting back to some more regular Iron Man adventures and having the Celestials here. Like I'm not a big fan of this whole soldier in the space. I thought I'd be more of a fan, but it just feels more disjointed and disconnected from what I would have expected. Um, so it's just not for me, unfortunately. And Graveland's artwork is trying my patience. Uh, so I give that a 6.5 out of 10. Next up is Justice League number 19. I really dug this. I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, I, I like the focus on on Batman. I also like the focus on um, you know Superman and Wonder Woman and how them being together now that Bat- Batman kind of knows about it and what does this mean? We also have this character who kind of I I think is he this character known as the out no not the outsider but he almost looks outsider ish. He's this guy who looks like kind of like a he's wearing almost like a. a I want to say Nomex, Nomex survival suit like in the Batman films and he basically uh, gets into the Batcave and he steals something and secret because um, Batman basically has some obviously some important files and things that he can use against the uh, his you know his friends in the Justice League including it looks like Kryptonite for uh, to go up against Superman again not a big surprise that this would happen because they like going to this well every few years uh, we get a little bit of the new of the female Atom which I really liked uh, you get a little bit of Firestorm as well as he's hanging out in the Watchtower. And then you have the, the bulk of the issue where you have uh, Batman calling in Cyborg and Aquaman to kind of look at what's been going on in the, in the cave, uh, trying to track down who might have broken in. And then you also have Superman and Wonder Woman doing things in the world that maybe they shouldn't and exerting power and influence and getting involved when they're not supposed to and Batman being very concerned about it, uh, which is interesting, and Batman confronting the two and the fact that they're now dating. Um, which is interesting, and then at the very end we have Despero show up. So, actually, this was a really strong read. It was fun. It was enjoyable. It's hard to believe that the first twelve issues of this book even happened because ever since Throne of Atlantis, this book has been firing on all cylinders. It's been a lot more interesting and engaging, and um, something I'm much more likely to give to someone who hasn't really read a lot of Justice League because it's actually kind of fun stuff exploring the real world aspects of these these characters pre New Fifty Two. Everyone, like, the heroes of the DC universe were celebrated as like gods among men, and here in the new DC New Fifty Two, uh, there's a lot more wariness over superheroes, and they don't have carte blanche to do the same things that they used to do. And I kind of like how it's making some writers tell different types of stories, and I'm interested to see where this goes in Justice League. So I liked it. Um, next up was Justice League of America's Vibe Number Three really kind of dug this too I'm, I never thought I'd enjoy a vibe book I like how he's being written I like how we're seeing how he's being controlled by Argus um, how his relationship with his brother is developing and also how he's learning more about his powers and here he goes up against um, Kid Flash which is interesting because I haven't really read much of Teen Titans at least the stuff more of the stuff with the Kid Flash in it so I don't really know much about his origins I'm guessing he's Bart it looks like he's Bart I think I've, I know who's Bart but I guess he is definitely from the future, but we're getting a little bit of a uh, little glimpse into what that could mean. And uh, as uh, Vibe seems to be able to tap into the vibrational frequencies and find out more, and actually tap into the past timeline and see more of the past of Kid Flash, which is interesting. And there's an interesting effect that happens when the two touch because you have Speed Force touching 
I guess the uh, the different vibrational frequencies of the world, and it, it really messes things up and causes a lot of feedback. Um, you also have Gypsy Escapes, and you have someone, I'm not really sure who, show up in the last page and uh, threaten to kill, um, uh, what's his name, Vibe. So this was a good read. I actually kind of dug it, um, and I would definitely recommend it. The artwork in this is by uh, Pete Woods, and it's written by Sterling Gates. Uh, I just realized for Justice League 19, I didn't actually say who illustrated it. Uh, it was actually illustrated by, uh, let's see, Ivan Reyes, and then needed backup by Gary Frank. I'm um, really liking Ivan Reyes on Justice League. He's a great fit. Um, so Justice League uh, number 19 got uh, a 9 out of 10. Justice League of America's Vibe number 3 got an 8 out of 10. Next up is Nightwing number 19. Um, this issue was alright. It wasn't the strongest issue since the relaunch, obviously. I gave it about a 7 out of 10. Um, mainly because of the artwork. I like the story. I didn't like the art. It's written by Kyle Higgins. Brett Bruth has moved over from uh, Teen Titans to uh, Nightwing, and I find that he is just a wrong fit here. Um, there are some pages where the action looks kind of interesting, and then there's other pages where... All my issues with Brett, Brett Booth as an artist, especially on his faces, etc., kind of peek in. Uh, Dick Grayson looks far too young. Um, I know he's a young guy, but usually he's given a little bit more maturity than he does here. And uh, I liked seeing a lot of the Nightwing action sequences, but they could have been a little bit more solid as well. I like the idea, though, that you're moving Nightwing into a new city, and he's got more of a, a purpose to be there and figure things out. So I'm interested in that, but... Um, not the strongest issue, mainly because of the art. I give it a 7 out of 10. Next up, after Nightwing, is uh, Nova number 3. I continue to enjoy this, although I'm not really... It's hard to enjoy it when you know that basically the first arc is functioning like a Nova uh, origin, setting up the character for where he was in AVX, and then after that we'll get Zeb Wells actually, and, excuse me, and Paco Medina uh, actually illustrating what I'm going to call really the real ongoing series. Unless it's going to be a bunch of um, just rotating miniseries, which is unclear at this moment. Uh, so this issue by Jeff Loeb and McGinnis. Um, I'm liking his take on Nova's character. I like Nova kind of coming up against, um, first of all, he's on the moon, he's meeting the Watcher, the Watcher doesn't say anything to him. I found actually that was kind of creepy and interesting, yet at the same time I'm not really sure what the point was, but I like that this is actually what it would seem like to meet the Watcher and have the Watcher say nothing. And with creepy eyes, and there's only one panel I really didn't like, was when he shoots away from the moon, it's almost like the Watcher is like eerily smiling at the reader, and I'm like, that's weird. Like, I'm okay with him having an impassioned face, but not smiling at me creepily, like an old man being like, hello there, come over here. Like, that's... No thanks. Didn't really like that. Um, that being said, I did like having uh, Sam Alexander kind of coming to grips with, um, you know, the, the abilities he's had, and him, again, meeting Rocket Raccoon, and, um, which is interesting, and Gamora, and having them kind of deal with each other, which is interesting, and that we finally got to see a little bit of, uh, description of what happened to Richard Ryder, and that, I mean, I love Gamora, because she, you know, loved Richard Ryder, she thought he was a pretty good guy, she's like, you're referring to Richard Ryder, and your behavior is an insult to his sacrifice, and the idea that, okay, yeah, he is dead, and but not all the the, uh, the Nova Corps is gone because there's these Black Lanterns, not Black Lanterns, wow, uh, these Black Helmets, which are different. And I like the idea that they're being able to uh, kind of start training Nova, which is cool. So I, I like this a lot. 
and the idea that uh, the, the Chitari is in the regular Marvel Universe now and not just um, uh, not just uh, the Ultimate Universe because that was the, the slang word for a scroll there. Um, but here, the Chitari are more like their ships look... Uh, they're obviously designed right from the movies. So basically, you're bringing a little bit of the movie continuity in terms of what the Chitari are into this comic. Uh, it's fun. It's a fun read. Um, it's good, lighthearted origin. Um, really digging the artwork by McGinnis. It's it's really solid stuff. It's not too overblown. It's not too bombastic. It just has just the right amount of bombasticity, if that's even a word. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Um, moving on, we got Red Hood and the Outlaws. I feel like I missed an issue. I'm pretty sure I read the last issue, and then I read this, and I'm like, I don't know what's happening. You have um, Jason Todd goes to try and have spiritual enlightenment. Now, I didn't read, like, I think issues 2 to like 11 of this book so I definitely missed something but I like the idea that he goes to a place to kind of re-teach himself some spiritual enlightenment and, and centering himself uh, especially after all the recent things that have happened in his life and then you have um, Starfire and uh, Arsenal or what is his name? It's just Roy Harper I guess and Roy Harper go after him and uh, Roy Harper kind of trying to do the same thing to kind of channel his spirituality so they can go after him. I like the idea that he kind of feels like without Jason, he wouldn't really have a purpose. He wouldn't have a friend. And I like seeing that vulnerability in the character, uh, which was interesting. And the stuff with the Starfire, her characterization wasn't as strong here, but it was interesting to see more of the focus on uh, Roy Harper and just kind of how he views his friend and wanted to, to, to help him and protect him. Um, so that was interesting. It's written by James Tiny in the fourth with artwork by Julius Gopez. Um, I actually like the artwork. There's some really good panels in here. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. And then you know, it also has that those weird gatefold covers. And that's like, uh, let's see, what does it say here? If there's a future for Jason Todd, he'll have to erase his past. And that's obviously what kind of happens, um, which is interesting. Anyways, I dug this. I liked it. Uh, so I gave Red Hood and the Outlaws number 19 a seven and a half out of 10. Uh, next up was Savage Wolverine, number four. Um, so this is one issue till it's over. Man, this book is so Frank Cho in every way. So, like, the first majority of the issue is these these tribes people bringing uh, Amadeus Cho and his AI. Basically, they're going to this place that's been uh, hooked up to what we assume is another man thing. That there is more than one, which I don't know if there's precedent for that or if that even makes any sense. And I like that... It looks like there's some cleverly placed foliage in front of where Man Thing's junk would be if Man Thing does have junk. Um, <laughs> um, they put Sh- uh, Sean of the She Devil uh, in this basically this uh, this pool to revive her because she's quote unquote dead. Uh, it's very Frank Cho, and what I mean by that is that there's a lot of shots of her and her skimpy little loincloths as she's lying on the ground bleeding and she's pretty much dead. And they put her in this pool, and then you have her basically becoming submerged in the pool and then you have her standing up out of the pool she have like the the liquid just dripping off of her and she's this buxom sorry this uh buxom uh blonde woman uh with kind of goo drizzling off her i'm like really really frank show and there's been there's a shot where she got kind of checks out her midsection where she was stabbed but really just looking at a rack and it's just like this is exploitation comics in every way uh then you have Amadeus Cho, Cho, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast, but about when I reviewed these, but uh, this issue, or sorry, this series, but they make Amadeus Cho look really old. Like, he used to be like a 12-year-old, or like, wasn't he really young? I don't know how old he was exactly, but he looked like a young, a younger kid, 
And now he looks like an adult. He looks like he's 21 years old. Anyways, in here you have a Wolverine wanted to avenge the death of Shauna, which is very Wolverine. So he kills a bunch of tribes people and then slaughters some gorillas and he's really injured himself. And then he finally comes up, comes face to face with Shanna, meets Amadeus Cho, which I felt they'd already met, but maybe not. And then you have the Hulk show up, and I'm not really sure why that happened, but why not? Because it's a Frank Show book, and big action has to happen, and that's what has to has to go down. It's not a bad book. I mean, it's fun, and it, but it's very cheesy. And if you can get beyond the cheesiness, it's fine. The story's not bad. It's kind of it's a little thin, but at least we're getting closer to the climax. The um, the cliffhanger with Hulk showing up, I don't understand what just happened, but. That just feels like this comic in general. Like things just happen, go with it. Uh, so that's a seven and a half out of ten. Uh, next up is Supergirl number nineteen. Um, I also gave this a seven and a half out of ten. Uh, kind of like this. I wasn't gonna read it because I haven't really been reading Supergirl recently. However, Power Girl's in it, and I'm like, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. Um, so I guess Supergirl died. I'm not really sure what's going on here. Plus, on the cover, I want to address. There's a, a man with like a scarred face, and he's kind of going. Wah! for lack of a better term. Uh, and he's just dressed in all in black. Apparently that's Lex Luthor. I missed something. I also missed something because my wife kind of looked over and she's like, why isn't Supergirl wearing pants? And I'm like, no, she's wearing a skirt. And I realized that's not really a skirt, but it's not really a kind of a, a bathing suit kind of bottom that Power Girl usually wears. I don't even know what this is. Um, so I, I really couldn't even answer that to her. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, I do not know. <laughs> um, so that was unfortunate. <laughs> Um, but I did like seeing the two different, uh, Girls of Steel meeting each other. Uh, this issue is written by Mike Johnson, artwork by Mahmoud Azrar, Pencils and Inks, and then offering pages 13 to 15, 17 and 20. You got Marlo Alquiza on inks with, uh, Dave McCaig on, on colors. Um, this was kind of interesting. It was kind of fun to kind of see the two. You didn't have a lot of characterization because there was a lot of fighting, so that you didn't get to see a lot of the two carries kind of meeting and understanding where they're from but you do get them kind of having a brief kind of uh, uh mind meld where they kind of understand each other's memories and then at the end of the issue you have uh kara bring oh, sorry the adult kara bringing the younger kara to that fortress in the bottom of the ocean so that she can be healed and protected from the kryptonite poisoning she also gets a new costume so this explains how she gets the classic power girl costume which she'll now i guess wear in world's finest and then at the very end the um the you know the system computer in the the uh, fortress basically freaks out because there's two Karas, which means one of them must be a clone, and that's actually kind of interesting because I do know that a, a big part of what the Hell on Earth storyline was about was the idea of a cl of clones being bad uh, in Kryptonian history. So I like the idea that it's like freaking out, wanting to kill one of the Karas because one of them is a clone and one of them must be destroyed, even though they're both real because one of them is from another dimension. Uh, it's a fun read, um, fairly good art, uh, it's a little wavers at times, but overall, still enjoyable, I'll give it a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, we are headed into the stretch, we got five more issues to go, uh, we got Superior Spider-Man number 8, um, this is, I dug this, um, obviously, number 9 is supposed to be the, the big issue where everyone's gonna get angrier than they were at, uh, at the end of, uh, issue 700 of Amazing Spider-Man. The, this issue in particular is written by Dan Slott with artwork by Humberto Ramos. We have to return, well, not the return of because he was already in the last issue, but we got some more of Cardiac. Um, I like this issue because, first of all, you have the Avengers confronting Spider-Man because they think that something's wrong with him. Basically, they think he's a scroll, and I thought that actually that was kind of hilarious in that he's acting weird and it is, uh, he's not quite acting like himself. 
Uh, you have Peter Parker trying to get their attention. You have Otto increasingly aware that something's up with his mind and something's not quite right. You have him trying to uh, recapture or repossess some of his Doctor Octo, his sorry, his machinery from when he was Doc Ock and things he created, and then realizing that he, you know, he's responsible for this young girl almost dying um, because of what he'd done during Ends of the Earth. So he tries to save her life, and then she's able to do so. Um, and he's realizing that like he is a hero and he even gets um, like a, her little uh, stuffed animal uh, from her as a token of appreciation. This is something that Doc Ock is not used to. And at the end of the issue, he basically has mapped his own mind using uh, his device that he's taken back briefly and borrowed from uh, Cardiac. And then he's realizing that uh, that those voices in his head, they're, they're real. And so in that he has to stop Peter Parker and he has to take him basically this remnant of Peter Parker's mind he has to get out and it's an interesting exchange because you have him kind of you know having this little mon uh, personal monologue as he's scanning his mind and you have Peter saying you know I'm going to fight you I'm going to find a way back and then this creepy panel of Otto just saying no Peter you won't and then Peter's like what you can you can you know I'm here he's like I do now I found you you're the anomaly all of Peter's memories I kept in this head taking on a life of their own he's like whoa Time to put a stop to that. And then it's like, robot, ready my equipment. I'm going to perform a Parker act in me. And next issue is Amazing versus Superior. So I'm interested to see where they go with it. This series has been moving faster than I would have expected in some areas. Um, I'm a little sad, potentially. I, I don't think we're actually going to see the loss of Doc Ock, but there's obviously going to be some sort of change to the status quo. I'm cautiously optimistic, but excited to see what it is. Obviously, Peter's going to be back to being Peter Peter in next year, like in within 12 months. But... For the moment, I'm enjoying the ride, uh, especially since they've jumped away from uh, the first three issues focused on Peter and MJ. Also, I like that Carly Cooper's trying to figure things out, and she's talking to someone. It's probably Wraith, but it could be someone else. Um, not Wraith. Is it? I can't remember who it was. Uh, there was a character during Brand New Day that she knew the identity of, and it was it's, or not Brand New Day, during, uh, uh, what's it called? Crap. Um, not Brand New Day. Big time. Anyways, it's not important. Uh, anyways, I gave the issue an 8 out of 10. Next up was Venom number 34. I don't know what I... This was a weird book. Um, I, I think I actually... I was going to give it a 7. I think it's more of a 6. I don't care for Toxin. I don't care for Eddie Brock as Toxin. I just leave Eddie Brock alone. Um, Eddie Brock is not an interesting character anymore. Once upon a time he was. There have been certain instances when he's been interesting... I miss him being anti-Venom because I just don't like him as Toxin. I really don't like how the artwork is here. Um, I just I don't care for this interpretation of the Toxin character. Toxin was more interesting when he didn't look as like a, a mess as he does here. I'm not liking the artwork here by Shalvey. Uh, the the writing by by Bun is all right, but it's not fantastic. Um, I was hoping we get more of a sense of a Flash Thompson just living life and not just having one big fight with Toxin. Um, it is a pretty brutal fight, though, and that part's kind of cool because you're seeing how all the damage that he's taking as the symbiote tries to kind of put him back together. And you also have these weird creatures getting created, and it looks like almost... It almost looks like a time thing happening. I don't know. I don't know. If you can make sense of the last three pages, good on you, because I started reading them, and I almost fell asleep because I just didn't care. Um, I didn't really think it was necessary to have Flash act out towards the child who tries to... Uh, help him out near the end here, but I mean, I just didn't really care. I, this is a book I was so excited about during like the first year, and then the second year it had that circle of four storyline I didn't much care for, and then right near the end it got really good, and then you had 
ever since Colin Bunn has been on it, I feel like there's been moments of potential greatness and then it just falls apart. I just don't really like it as much as I want to. So I give it a 6 out of 10. You got Wolverine and the X-Men 27, which feels... Sorry, not 27. Uh, it's 27AU. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Gotta watch out there. Um, it was an okay issue, but I feel like it doesn't make a lot of sense because if you read Age of Ultron 6, it's kind of contrary. You have... Um, Wolverine and Sue going into the past, and this one, it's basically what ha- happens halfway before, halfway, but sorry, it takes place between the pages of Ultron's, uh, Age of Ultron 6, uh, after they grab uh, Nick Fury's old, uh, you know, special car, and before they arrive to kill Hank Pym, and you have a little bit of Sue trying to change the past, and Wolverine trying not to, um, and I think there were some ideas here about what might have help the brew get started, which don't make a lot of sense. I just, this issue felt like a throwaway. It doesn't need to happen. In fact, it just confuses the events of Age of Ultron 6. I didn't much like this. Um, I was going to give it a better rating than I think I am. I was going to give it a 7. I think it's more of a 6, if even that. I'm being a little bit charitable there. And I feel like a lot of books this week were kind of at that level. Um, so I, didn't, I just didn't much care. Which is unfortunate, because I like to care. And this just wasn't it. Uh, I did like the cover, though. I thought the cover was good because it was a, a Diodato cover. Uh, so it's hard to, it's hard not to love Diodato. But uh, this is written by Kinnot, who I've never heard of. And it's artwork by Medina, and not the best stuff. So I'm hoping we see better material when uh, he gets on... Uh, I think it's Nova. I may be wrong. And you got Juan Velasco in artwork. I was around Inks, and I wasn't a big fan of Inks here either. Moving on, we're almost done. Wow, that's a lot of books this week. Uh, we got X Factor number two fifty four. I did not much like this. I'm a big fan of Peter David. People who listen to the podcast know that. I gave this a six out of ten. I just feel like this storyline kind of needs to end. It feels like it's running out of steam. Uh, I just feel like that this book has kind of gotten too big for itself, and now I'm just not really following that well. Uh, so this issue is written by Peter David, artwork by Leonard Kirk. Um, Again, we continue. This storyline is just feels like a mess. You have uh, the the different gods trying to get a get tier. Um, I don't know. You know, I read this last week, and I don't even much care. Like, I, I'm just flipping through it now, and I'm like, I don't even know what happens. I feel like this is an arc where once it's over, I will read it all again in collected form, uh, either just with all the issues or by eventually getting the trade because I have, a, a, I think, what, 18 volumes of X-Factor on my trade paperback shelf, so I'm going to have more when they continue to publish them. Um, so I, I don't know. I just didn't like this. I wish I did. I just don't. I think the storyline's running on too long. I think it's running out of juice, and I think I'm ready for it to be over. Six out of ten. Uh, next up is X Men Legacy number nine. Um, it wasn't as strong as I was expecting it to be. I do like the ideas of Legion and uh, Blindfold kind of having their date together, and them kind of being in, in on the moon, and the uh, the deliberate callbacks to um, to uh, what's it called uh, to Watchmen and Doctor Manhattan. Uh, but then there's a lot of weird stuff in the middle with this weird character that shows up and uh, the fact that uh, it's up, it, the future is quite bleak if they don't kind of take down this entity now. Um, Legion kind of, you know, he's, he's trying to be court, uh, courting uh, Blindfold, but Blindfold can't quite uh, get b- behind what he wants to do. And he's like, you know, I've already done this. I've already been able to try and save the future. And um, I don't know. I, I like the idea of them being this being this date between Blindfold and uh, Legion, but then it kind of goes off the rails with this character I don't much care for. And 
I don't know. Uh, although that being said, I was going to give this a six and a half out of out of ten. I'm actually going to upgrade it to a ten. Sorry, not ten. Wow, uh, to a seven because I think maybe I'm giving it not enough credit. It had elements I really liked, but I think it spent too much time with a character I didn't care about. But there were some interesting implications, and the characterization between David and Blindfold are what really make the issue sell for me. So this issue is written by Simon Spurrier and artwork by Tan and Tan and Huat. So that is every book I'm actually going to review, because that was a ton. I think that was, uh, what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. I think that's almost 25 books, so that's more than enough. Um, the books I didn't get a chance to review, uh, one of them I'm really disappointed I didn't get a chance to read it yet. Um, I just wasn't able to get a copy. That would be Daredevil, End of Days, number 7. I'm excited to read that, just didn't get a chance to read it yet. We got Catwoman 19 I didn't read, Dark Avengers 189, DC Universe Presents 19, Fables 128, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe number 1, JSA Liberty Files The Whistling Skull number 5, Legion of Superheroes 19, Sword of Sorcery number 7, Ultimate Comics Wolverine number 3, Wonder Woman 19, and uh, that's it. So I mean, most of those books I don't really read generally, um, but I, I, I sometimes read Wonder Woman and I hope to at some point jump back in with it. Um, looking forward to the next week, and that's one thing I want to maybe uh, kind of address as a, as a new feature, is to kind of look at things that I'm really excited about reading the coming up. Um, obviously, this episode's going up on the evening of the 24th, so comics have already come out this week, uh, but I'm sure a lot of people haven't had a chance to read them yet. Um, so upcoming releases that I'm excited about, at least, and excited to review on the next uh, review podcast, hopefully going up on, um, let's see the 28th i'm really excited about uh the new flash because i mean well not necessarily excited i'm excited to see what happens with the new reverse flash but he's only on two pages at the very end of the issue because it ties in with the uh, wtf cover but i'm interested to see what that looks like um just kind of looking over as well i'm interested to see with the next issue of batman incorporated uh if that will kind of rebound from where that uh the last issue was which was good but not great I'm also excited to see the next issue of Manhattan Projects 11. I was not a fan of number issue number 10, so I'm excited to see the new issue come out. For those who have not yet uh, jumped on this book, you really should. Jonathan Hickman and Nick Patara doing amazing work. Uh, the second trade, I believe, just came out last week, so you can jump right in. Uh, the first trade is still available. You also have East of West number 2 is coming up. I'm excited about reading that. wasn't a huge fan of the first issue, but I'm excited to see what I might think of uh, going forward. Um, and that's by Jonathan, Hick- Jonathan Hickman and Nick Patara. Sorry, not Nick Patara. Uh, Nick Dragota, and that's for Image Comics. I am also uh, excited to read the uh, the new issue of Avengers number ten. Um, also, big releases coming up. We're also going to have Guardians of Galaxy number two. Excited for that. New Avengers five, another Hickman book. A lot of Hickman books. That's like four this uh, this coming week. As well as Uncanny Avengers 7, after the rebound that was number 6. I'm hoping number 7 keeps the momentum going. Also excited for Uncanny X-Men number 5. And uh, I'm excited for uh, Extermination number 2, if only for that event to finally be over. So that's the stuff I'm looking forward to for the week uh, starting April 24th, that Wednesday, which is today. So thank you once again for joining us for uh, the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I have been your host, Adam Chapman. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook. You can um, you know, give messages or post messages on the HC Realms uh, um, thread that we usually uh, put these episodes on. I love getting feedback, so keep it coming. I really appreciate it. Um, 
and we hope to have you you know um, download future episodes as I said we got a lot of good stuff coming up in May and I'm really excited about the episodes we have coming so and about some of the guests because I like getting new blood on the show once in a while just to see uh, you know different insights different uh, takes on characters comics movies whatever it might be that we're talking about so I'm always excited about that so thanks for joining us and I do appreciate uh, the patience as this episode is extremely late going up uh, hopefully it, last week was two days late this week is three days late hopefully next week it won't go up on Thursday because that's way too late uh, but thank you for your patience and uh, we'll hope to see you next time and within an hour or two of this episode going up you'll be able to episode, download episode 72 which is our Marvel Now Spotlight Thanks for joining me, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.